folks, welcome to the Smart Ass Historian. I am, as always, the Great White Snark, Scotty J. Seated with me is the Reverend Jeff. How's it going? Oh shit, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to get working. Yeah. Yeah, I only got three days on the schedule now because we're, we're just out of Christmas. We're mm. out of the holidays. Yeah. You know, hours are slow. <clears throat> But I, I know this. I've been through many, many rounds of post-Christmas scheduling. Oh, yeah. But, no, I, I'm kind of happy with it. I mean, I haven't actually gotten on the floor yet, but I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Ah, we got a great one today. Walmart, a multi-billion dollar company. Yep. I works, about you and- I works for Walmart. Pays beggars' wages. And well, I'm making pretty good. What are you making an hour there? Eleven. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. But the funny thing but, is, I mean, come on. I mean, right. really, in the scheme of things, it's right. But in the scheme of things, it's not that big. But I mean, think about it. Here's a here's not a, when rents like like what almost a thousand dollars a month. Right. That's why I was looking at places that are under five hundred in Philly. Yeah. I found some. That are another five hundred a month. Yeah. But uh, what's funny is like I work with my ex-wife. I work with my aunt. <laughs> uh, an ex-girlfriend, if she's still there, I don't know. She was she was off on medical. People that I grew up with. So he's like you know, old home week or something. You know. They're taking advantage of the whole community. Yeah, yeah. Saint Anne's like working for Walmart. <laughs> Okay, we have probably what's... I would say it's one of our most important monuments in the world. The Tomb of the Unknown. Yeah. I mean, and folks, if you ever get a chance to go to Arlington National Cemetery... Otherwise known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Yeah, at one point... they changed the name of it. You know, probably to be PC. Well, I, I... I don't... I'm not sure. Some people call it Tomb of the Unknown. Some people call it Tomb of the uh, Unknown Soldier. It's like the Willis Tower. It it's is not the, the freaking no. Willis Tower. It is the Sears Tower. If you're from Chicago, it's the Sears Tower. Just like it's always going to be Comiskey Field. I don't care if you were born in 2004. It's not the Willis Tower. It's the Sears There's Tower. There's only three buildings in Chicago that no matter... Actually, four. There's two, four buildings in Chicago that no matter what, people know what you're talking about. The Sears Tower, Comiskey Park. Yes. The World Amphitheater. Or the, yeah. the World Music Theater. Yeah, New World Music Theater. And Rosemont Horizon. Exactly. That's all I got to say on the subject. <laughs> I don't even know what they're called now. Uh, well, the, the New World Holly- Music Theater. New World Music Theater is the used- Hollywood Casino well, Amphitheater. Well, it used to be the Tweeter Center. It used to be the Tweeter, but now it's the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. And last I knew, the... Rosemount Horizon was the Allstate Arena. That's not that bad, but no, it's the Rosemount Horizon. It's been the Allstate Arena forever, right? But too, I, I mean, I remember the Rosemont Horizon. Yeah, but I remember like, like in the early two thousands when they started doing that shit. Yeah, started changing the names of all the yeah. It's like corporations started buying the them. Nokia, you know. Oh, or some last shit. last weekend when Alex was out, I introduced him to basketball. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the T-Mobile 
Superdome or whatever. The, the maxi pad dome. The Pepto Bismol Imodium AD Amphitheater. <laughs> he, he got to watch it. He's like, This is a strange movie, Dad. I'm like, It's from the guys from South Park, so it fits in. But anyway, if you go to the, if you ever go to Arlington National Cemetery, in the visitor center, they they tell you the story on you know wall mounts and everything. And if you ever get to see the changing or even seeing the guards walk, the, yeah, the designated yeah, path, I've seen videos of it. It's, really it, cool. it's amazing. I want to go back and see it again. Yeah, that's how much of a geek I am. But anyway. On March 4th, 1921, the United States Congress approved the burial of an unidentified American serviceman from World War One in the plaza of the new Memorial Amphitheater, which is right there in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I went in it. It's an impressive... It's kind of like, you know, Greco-Roman in design. Marble and, and shit. Marble. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. On November 11th, 1921... The unknown soldier brought back from France was interred below a three-level marble tomb. The bottom two levels are six granite sections each, and the top at least nine blocks with a rectangular opening in the center of each level, through which the unknown remains were placed through the tomb and into the ground below. A stone, rather than marble, slab, a stone slab covers the rectangular opening. Mm. Now, Secretary of War Dwight F. Davis and Major General B.F. Cheatham, Quartermaster General of the U.S. Army, inspected the accepted model and design for the completion of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in 1928. The design by sculptor Thomas Hudson Jones and architect Lorimer Rich was selected after a competition in which 73 designs were submitted. Hmm. Now, since 1921, the the intent was to place a superstructure on top of the tomb, but it was not until July 3, 1926, that Congress authorized the completion of the tomb and the expenditure of 50 grand, which was completed 2,000 under cost. Wow. Oh yeah, under cost. Under. So That's amazing. Yeah, they only spent forty eight thousand to complete it, and they quoted fifty. Maybe because they were trying not to rip it off. You know what I mean? Right. It was and, such a. And this was something. You know, it's an important thing. Yeah, it was probably so. You know, it was so important that they decided not to cut corners or price gouge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, a design competition was held and won by architect Lorimer Rich and sculptor Thomas Hudson Jones, as we said before. Now, an appropriation from Congress for the work was secured on December 21, 1929, and a contract for completion of the tomb itself was entered into. The tomb would consist of seven pieces of marble marble in four levels, the cap, die, base, and sub-base of which the die is the largest block with the sculpting on all four sides. Hmm. Now, the the coring of Yule marble, uh, which was 3.9 miles south of Marble, Colorado, by the Vermont Marble Company, 
Ooh. They used Colorado marble. Mm. Now, this was a one-year process beginning in 1930. The cap was quarried on the first attempt. That's nice. Yeah. But the base required three attempts. Yeah, it probably kept cracking and shit. Cracking. Um, I'm sure cracking was involved. Or um, chipping. I'm sure they could have chipped it when they were taking it out, too. Yeah. Go on. Thank you. Now, the large middle block also required three tries. In late January 1931, the 56-ton middle block was lifted out of the quarry. The quarrying involved 75 men. When the block was separated from the mountain inside the quarry, it weighed 124 tons. Wow. About as much as my (laughs) ex-wife. A wire saw was then brought into the quarry to cut the block down to 56 tons. Now, on February 3rd, the block reached the Marble Mill site, which was in the town of Marble, after a four-day trip from the quarry. Here it was created, then shipped to Vermont on February 8th. The block was sawn to final size in West Rutland, Vermont, and fabricated by craftsmen in Proctor, Vermont, before it was shipped by train to the Arlington National Cemetery in Virginia. By September, all seven blocks were on the ground of the tomb site at Arlington. Now, assembly began in September of 1931. An imperfection was found in the base requiring three more tries. Man. (laughs) Now, by the end of December of 31, the assembly was completed. Finishing work followed with the carvings on the die block by the Piccarilli brothers under the direction of sculptor Thomas Jones. Guess some Italians that carve marble, they know what the hell they're doing. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Look at all those nice Italian marble fixtures, you know. Well, just look at the ruins in Italy. Mm-hmm. There you go. Right. <laughs> they can carve some marble. Not, <laughs> come on. They know what they're doing. <laughs> now, the brothers also carved the Lincoln statue for the Lincoln Memorial, among other statues. <laughs> well, hell! They know what they're doing. Now, I know it's going to sound stereotypical, but be like, Hey, Pazana, we, we carved the marble. We want pizza. Now, the tomb was completed without formal ceremony on April 9th, 1932. Now, the tomb was placed at the head of the grave of the World War I unknown. West of this grave are the crypts of the unknowns from World War II, which is south, and the Korean, which are north. Now, between the two lies a crypt that once contained an unknown from Vietnam. His remains were positively identified in 1998 through DNA testing as First Lieutenant Michael Blassie. Wow. The United States Air He was with the United States Air Force and was removed. Now, those three graves are marked with white marble slabs flushed with the plaza. Hmm. 
Now the tomb has a flat-faced form and is relieved at the corners and along the sides by neoclassical pill stairs or pilasters set into the surface with objects and inscription carved into the sides. The 1931 symbolism of the objects on the north, south, and east sides changed over time. Now, the north and south panel with three wreaths on each side represent, in 1931, a world of memories. But later, the six major battles engaged in by the American forces in France, the Ardennes, the Belle Wood, Chateau Thierry, Messieu Argonne, Oisi Isu and Somme. Each wreath has 38 leaves and 12 berries. Oh. The east panel that faces Washington, D.C. are the three Greek figures representing peace, victory, and American manhood. <laughs> but later, valor instead of American manhood. Yeah. Now, the west panel is inscribed with, and, and this is centered on the panel, here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Huh. Now, on Memorial Day, and this is the story that they go into in, in the visitor center. Yeah. On Memorial Day of 1921, four unknown servicemen were exhumed from four World War I American cemeteries in France, Azie, Maine, Mezu, Argonne, and Somme, and St. Michael. Now, U.S. Army Sergeant Edward F. Younger, who was wounded in combat, highly decorated for valor and received the Distinguished Services Cross, selected the unknown from World War I from four identical caskets at the City Hall in Chalonne in Champagne in France on October 24, 1921. Now, Younger selected the World War I unknown by placing a spray of white roses on one of the caskets. He chose the third casket from the left. The chosen unknown was transported to the United States aboard the USS Olympia. Those remaining were reinterred in the Messu Argonne Cemetery in France. Hmm. See, Britain and France did similar things with yeah. their unknown. So America, you know, jumped on the bandwagon. <clears throat> Now, the World War I unknown laid in state in the capital rotunda for his arrival in the United States until Armistice Day 1921, which would be Veterans Day. Yeah. On November 11, 1921, President Warren G. The Regulator Harding... Deregulator. Yeah, Harding. Warren G. The Regulator. Yeah. <laughs> I, I needed, we need to do one on Warren, Warren G. because that man was fucking everything in the White House. They, I've heard stories where they would catch him in closets banging secretaries. Oh, well, you gotta go. Go with a smile. Yeah, well, he also had a mistress that he was sending dirty letters to. <laughs> and some of these uh, some of these should be in penthouse forum. I'm gonna hold your hand so hard. No, yeah, he, I know. he wasn't just, talking hand-holding. He was yeah, like, he was like I would like to submerge my submarine into your fleshy sea. <laughs> I mean, you see pictures of Warren G. Harding, and he don't look that imposing, you know? No, that man was a... That man was... I bet his Secret Service was like, Jesus Christ, another one? Be like, the old office smells like Badussy. <laughs> Booty dick. Some guy walks into the old, old office. 
It smelled like pussy in here. It smelled like badussy. <laughs> it smelled like poo naughty. <laughs> badussy, booty dick and pussy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I gave her the official seal of approval. Yeah. Now, Warren G. officiated at the internment ceremonies at the Memorial Amphitheater at Arlington National Cemetery. Now, during the ceremony, the World War I unknown was awarded the Victorian Cross by Admiral of the Fleet Lord Beatty on behalf of King George V of the United Kingdom. Uh, he got over the whole, you rebellious traitors shit, you know. Yeah. Um... Now, in 1928, the Unknown Soldier was presented the Silver Buffalo Award for Distinguished Service to America's Youth by the Boy Scouts of America. On August 3, 1956, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed a bill to select and pay tribute to the Unknowns of World War II and the Korean War. The selection ceremonies and the internment of these Unknowns took place in 1958. The World War II unknown was selected from the remains exhumed in cemeteries in Europe, Africa, Hawaii, and the Philippines. Shit. Yeah, bigger selection. Now, two unknowns from World War II, one from the European and one from the Pacific Theater, were placed in identical caskets and taken aboard the USS Canberra, a guided missile cruiser resting off the Virginia Capes. Navy Hospital Corpsman First Class William R. Charette, then the U.S. Navy's only active duty Medal of Honor recipient, who was an enlisted man, selected the World War II unknown. The remaining casket received a solemn burial at sea. Hmm. Yeah, the scar up here on my right temple. Yeah. It does. It would look better if a hospital corpsman didn't fucking sew it. Oh yeah. In the Navy, if you get sick, do not go to a corpsman. <laughs> they're just out of medical school. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. What happened? I was in Greece, and I walked into a... Our billeting office was in a trailer because it was getting rebuilt. Yeah. So I walked into the corner of the window. Yeah. And caught myself right here. Mm-hmm. I didn't think anything of it. Apparently, I hit it so hard, the whole trailer shook. <laughs> and I walk in, and, and I was friends with the building guys. They were cool. And I forget the guy's name. He's like, Klonowski, was that you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. He's like, Klonowski, what's wrong with your head? I read him, I go, oh, shit, I'm bleeding. So they took me over to medical. The corpsman's like, eh, we could close that with one stitch. I'm like, you're going to numb me, right? Well, we can close it with one stitch. You're going to numb me, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess we got to numb you. <laughs> Idiot. So he puts the one stitch in and goes like, oh, it's not closing. We're going to have to put a second one in. <laughs> and as, the, as he was stitching the second stitch, the anesthesia was wearing off. And then he puts a little piece of, like gauze here with a piece of tape that went from the center of my forehead down the side of my face to my jaw. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I'd have had better luck with a witch doctor. 
funny thing about stitch I got a little story about stitches. Um you know the remake of um Dawn of the Dead yeah. with being Rames and everything? Mm-hmm. Uh, in that movie, he gets his arm cut. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't remember her name. Sarah Polly or yeah. whatever, the blonde in the movie. Mm-hmm. She's like a nurse in the movie or something. Well, she goes to stitch him up. And she you, you see her do it, you know. You see her put the stitches through. And you see Bing Rames' character wince. He's sitting there going, ugh, you know, every time she puts it through. Well, for the movie, when they were filming it, they had a prosthetic on his arm. Um, oh, wow. And it was where she, you know, was yeah. stitching so she could actually stitch mm-hmm. it, you know. Well, when it came time to do it, uh, they did it, they filmed it, it was really good, whatever. After it was over... They had found out that they had actually stitched the prosthetic to his pros- arm. To his arm. Oh hell no! Yeah. So when he's wincing in the scene, he's actually feeling it. That he's actually feeling the pain because mm. he he's getting that motherfucker stitched to his arm. Mm. And uh, you know, I'm like, what a fucking actor that dude right. is! What a badass! I mean, it just like you don't know these little things until you like someone says. They, you know, you, you learn right. them, and then it's like, what a badass, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the Arby's commercials, Bing Rames can do anything he wants. <laughs> He's bought his own ticket. <laughs> now, four unknown Americans who died in the Korean War were disinterred from the National Cemetery of the Pacific in Hawaii. Army Master Sergeant Ned Lyle made the final selection. Now, both caskets arrived in Washington on May 28, 1958, where they lay in the Capitol Rotunda, until the morning of May 30th, when they were carried on caissons to Arlington National Cemetery. President Eisenhower awarded each the Medal of Honor, and the unknowns of World War II and Korea were interred in the plaza beside their World War I comrade. And looking at, like, the route they would have taken from the Capitol. Yeah. They probably, I mean, shoot down Pennsylvania Avenue. It's pretty much a straight shot until you get, like, to the monuments there on the mall. Mm -hmm. But they, I mean, if they went down Independence Avenue, they could have made it. Now, both, okay. Now, the designation of the Vietnam unknown proved to be difficult. With improvements in DNA testing, it is possible though unlikely that the recovered remains for every unknown soldier killed in the Vietnam War will be identified. Now, the Vietnam unknown service member was originally designated by Medal of Honor recipient U.S. Marine Corps Sergeant Major Alan J. Kellogg, Jr. during the ceremony at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, May 17, 1984. Now, each branch of the armed services took part in the transportation to, the, to honor the unknown. The Marines from Marine Barracks, Hawaii, consisted of an honor guard of nine enlisted men and Lieutenant Dennis Mueller. Sounds familiar. <laughs> the designated Vietnam unknown was transported aboard the USS Bruton, where the, the Marines stood guard over the casket during the voyage to Naval Air Station Alameda, California. 
At Travis, the, the debarkation ceremony turned the remains over to the USAF on May 24th. The next day, the remains of the unknown were flown from Travis Air Force Base, arriving at Andrew Air Force Base in Maryland. Now, once there, the remains were turned over to the Army, where the remains were taken to Fort McNair for placement upon the horse-drawn wagon, which later carried the unknown to the Capitol Rotunda for display before internment. While on display for public viewing, all branches of the U.S. Armed Forces stood in honor, guarding the casket of the unknown for two weeks. Now, many Vietnam veterans and President Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan visited the Vietnam unknown in the U.S. Capitol. Well, Nancy and I would like to thank Bonzo for making this appearance today. <laughs> Bonzo, come up here and say something to the public. Now, an Army caisson carried the Vietnam unknown from the Capitol to the Memorial Amphitheater at Arlington National Cemetery on Memorial Day, May 28, 1984. Now, President Reagan presided over the funeral and presented the Medal of Honor to the Vietnam Unknown and also acted as next of kin by accepting the internment flag at the end of the ceremony. The internment flags for all unknowns at the Tomb of the Unknowns are on view in the Memorial Display Room, mm. which I think would be in the Visitor Center. I didn't get to see it, but I, I'm thinking that's where it would be. Now, in 1994, Ted Sampley, a POW MIA activist, determined that the remains of the Vietnam unknown were likely those of Air Force Lieutenant or Air Force First Lieutenant Michael Joseph Blassie, who was shot down near. La Try this again. Who was shot down near an LOC Viet Vietnam uh, and Lock Vietnam in 1972. Now, Sampley published an article in his newsletter and contacted Blassie's family, who attempted to pursue the case with the Air Force's casualty officer without result. Now, in January of 1998, CBS News broadcast a report based on Sampley's investigation, which brought political pressure to support the identification of the remains, which usually happens. Now, the body was exhumed on May 4th, or 14th, 1998. Based on mitochondrial DNA testing, the Department of Defense scientists confirmed the remains were those of Blassie. The identification was announced on June 30th, 1998, and on July 10th, his remains arrived home to his family in St. Louis. He was reinterred at Jefferson Barracks National Cemetery on July 11th. Oh. I want to visit... Uh, Jefferson Barracks because it, it's an important yeah. uh, some Civil War generals did serve there when they got out of West Point and there's a Civil War museum there that I want to check out of course Scott why else would you go no shit uh, St. Louis I might go pick up a, a meth head hooker for the night yeah Now, the slab over the crypt that once held the remains of the Vietnam Unknown has since been replaced. The original inscription of Vietnam has been changed to Honoring and Keeping Faith with America's Missing Servicemen as a reminder of the commitment of the armed forces to the fullest possible accounting of missing service members. 
it was decided that the crypt would remain vacant. Which is fitting. Yeah. Now, the tomb guards are soldiers of the United States Army. The first military guards were troopers from the 3rd Cavalry Brave Rifles who were posted nearby on Fort Myer. Since April 6, 1948, known as Army Day, when the regiment was reactivated, it has been guarded by the soldiers from the 3rd Infantry Regiment, who are nicknamed the Old Guard. The Old Guard is also posted on Fort Myer, Virginia, adjacent to the Arlington National Cemetery. It is considered one of the highest honors to serve as a sentinel at the Tomb of the Unknowns. Now, here's where we start getting into the numbers of the people. Yeah. Fewer than 20% of all volunteers are accepted for training, and of those, only a fraction pass the training to become full-fledged tomb guards. Hmm. This attrition rate has made the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier Guard identification badge the third least awarded qualification badge of the United States Army. Hmm. As of February of last year, they number 663, including 23 which have been revoked. Wow. It is preceded by the 10 military horse, horsemen identification badges and the 17 astronaut badges. The badge is the only military badge that can be revoked for any refraction that brings disrespect to the tomb during the lifetime of the tomb guard. Wow. Yeah. They take that shit seriously. Now, the soldiers walking the mat does not wear rank insignia so as not to outrank the unknowns, whatever their rank may have been. Non-commissioned officers, usually they're the relief commander and assistant relief commanders, now they do wear insignia of their rank when changing the guard only. They have a separate uniform, which is posted without rank, that is worn when they actually guard the the unknowns or, or are posted. Now the duties of the Sentinels are not purely ceremonial. The Sentinels will confront people who cross the barriers at the tomb or whom they perceive to be disrespectful or excessively loud. Mm. And I mean, Arlington is a cemetery. They do post signs around there to say, you know, be quiet, post your respect. And like I was telling you before we turned it on, when you come down, you know, the steps on the other side of the amphitheater, Mm -hmm. everyone stops at the bottom of those stairs. They don't, there's like a no man's land. Between where the steps stop and the mat is, yeah, that nobody crosses. Of course, I'd like to see one dumbass do it just to be taken down by the guards. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm that guy. They would probably edge him. You don't fuck across the guards, man. <laughs> they don't fuck. No, they ain't gonna do shit to you. And watch him get the shit beat out of them. <laughs> but nobody. I mean. And the, and the cemetery is quiet anyway, but when you're there by the unknowns, you can hear a fly fart. That's how quiet it is. I bet. Of course, on the day I was there, it was excessively hot, and I was fucking... Virginia summer. No. Fucking bastards. Hot, sweaty. 
But one nice thing about Arlington is they have water fountains posted every so often. Yeah. Now, over the years, there have been several different types of weapons that are used by the Tomb Guards. Now, the changes in weapons reflect the changes in the Army, including the M1903 Spring or the M1903 Springfield rifle, the M1 Garand, and the M14 rifles. M1 Garand. Yeah. And the M1911, M9, and M17 pistols. Tomb Guards currently carry M14 rifles, which are affixed to ceremonial rifle stocks. These rifles are cleaned daily and kept ready for use at all times. Like I said, in case a fucking dumbass wants to get jumpy. What? If it, I am praying that it happens next time I go to Arlington. <laughs> because I want to be I want to be interviewed on the news so that, you know, you can see it back here in Illinois and be like, oh, "Yeah, I seen it. I seen it all." This here dumbass. So you can go, yep, Scott witnessed it. And he's making an ass of himself on national TV. <laughs> I'm like, dumbass. There you go. You're right, the red foreman, dumbass. That's all. Dude, that's all I do. Like, watch American, American's Funny Home videos, and I say dumbass about 50 times. Oh, I see it when like, I watch dumbass. Ridiculousness. Dumbass. Dumbass. I say dumbass or fucking retard a lot. Now, there is a meticulous routine that the guards follow when watching over the graves. The tomb guards march 21 steps south down the 63-foot-long black mat laid across the tomb. Turn and faces east toward the tomb for 21 seconds. Turns and faces north, changes weapon to outside shoulder, and waits 21 seconds. Then marches 21 steps down the mat. Then turns and faces east for 21 seconds. Turns and faces south, changes weapons to the outside shoulder, and waits 21 seconds. Yeah, I've read this before. Repeating the routine until the soldier is relieved of duty at the changing of the guard. Now, after each turn, the guard executes a sharp, a sharp shoulder arms movement to place the weapon on the shoulder closest to the visitors to signify that the guard stands between the tomb and any possible threat. Mm. Miss Rednecks from the back hills of Tennessee. Now, out of respect for the interred, the Sentinel commands silence at the tombs. If the guard walking the mat must vocally confront a disturbance from spectators or a threat, the routine is interrupted and remains so until disturbance is under control. The Sentinel will exit the mat, place the weapon in port arms position, and confront the disturbance. <laughs> Once under control, the sentinel then walks on the pavement to the other side of the mat, turns to shoulder arms, and resumes the routine from the point of interruption. <laughs> 21 were chosen because it symbolizes the highest military honor that it can be bestowed, the 21-gun salute. So basically, they would like stop what they were doing, go out and either tell them all to shut up, or blast a some bitch, and then go right back to it. And right back to marching. <laughs> and I guarantee, cops would not arrest that man because he was doing his duty. Well, yeah. I seen it. I seen it all, officer. Th this meth head from Missouri. <laughs> man claims Missouri meth head <laughs> disturbed the tomb. Yeah, no shit. 
Now, the mat is usually replaced twice per year, before Memorial Day and before Veterans Day. This is required because of the wear on the rubber mat by the special shoes worn by the tomb guards. The inner sentinels have metal plates, or actually, let's try that again. The sentinels have metal plates built into the soles of into the soles and inner parts of the shoes to allow for a more rugged sole and to give the signature click of the heel during maneuvers. Mm. The Sentinels wear sunglasses because of the bright reflection from the marble surrounding the tomb. I bet. Oh, yeah. Because that's white marble. Yeah, I bet. And that shit is blinding. Like snow. Now, on the ground not covered by the mat, a rust pattern in the tile can be seen that corresponds to the precise steps taken during the changing of the guard. The metal from the guard's boots causes the brown rust markings on the stone. On the mat itself, footprints caused by standing guard are also visible. Now, while Arlington Cemetery is open during the day in the summer months from April 1st to September 30th, the guard is changed every half hour. Wow. During the winter months from October 1st to March 31st, the guard is changed every hour. After the cemetery closes to the public, which is 7 to 8, which is 7 p.m. to 8 a.m. April through September and 5 p.m. to 8 a.m. October through March, the guard is changed every 2 hours. The ceremony can be witnessed by the public whenever Arlington National Cemetery is opened. And I, I've seen it. it. It's impressive. I bet. I, you know, I don't say this often, but I mean, if you're... I've seen it in a video, but I'm sure it's way more impressive. Oh, every American should at some point in their life go and see that. Even if you don't see the changing of the guard, just see the guards guarding the tomb. Just go to the nation's capital. Right. And there's there's plenty to see in Washington, D.C. I know I've been there three times. I'll go again. I'll make my pilgrimage to Ford's Theater. Now, the guard change is very symbolic, but also conducted in accordance with Army regulations. The relief commander or assistant relief commander, along with the oncoming guard, are both required for a guard change to take place. The relief commander orders the guard being relieved to pass on your orders to the oncoming guard. The guard being relieved will say to the oncoming guard, post and orders remain as directed. The oncoming guard's response is always, orders acknowledged. Now during changes when the public is witnessing the ceremony, the commander will inform the public that the ceremony is about to take place and that those, that, and that those in attendance should and that those who are present should remain silent and standing throughout the entire event. I have seen, when I was there, I did see some uh, some veterans, you know, snap a salute. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that's that's respect. You know, and, and I, I mean, my short time in the military, if I'm by an officer's grave, I'll pop a salute. Mm-hmm. I did when I went to General Meade's grade. I went, yeah, you know, I, I I do it, and I think all soldiers do it because this is our form of respect to, yeah, you know, those that have fallen before us. 
Now, a civilian guard was first posted at the tomb on November 17, 1925, to prevent, among other things, families from picnicking on a flat marble slab with views of the city. Oh, shit. I mean, you can get some great views of Washington from the cemetery itself. We were up by, um, we were up by Arlington House, and we were walking down the staircase there, and we could see the Pentagon. Hmm. Now, a military guard was first proposed on March 25, 1926. The first 24-hour guard was posted on midnight, July 2nd, 1937. The Tomb of the Unknowns has been guarded continuously, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, since that time. Hmm. Inclement weather, terrorist attacks, and other stuff do not cause the watch to cease. <laughs> so like when the Pentagon was hit, guard yeah. was still out there. You know, that, that's dedication right there, man. But they're, they've got the highest duty mm-hmm. in the service to guard that tomb. Now, since 1948, the tomb guards, a special platoon within the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment, work on a team rotation of 24 hours on, 24 off. For five days, taking the following four days off. A guard takes an average of six hours to prepare his uniform. Heavy wool, regardless of the time of year, for the next day's work. In addition to preparing the uniform, guards also conduct physical training, tomb guard training, participate in field exercises, cut their hair before the next work day, and at times are involved in regimental functions as well. Tomb guards are required to memorize 35 pages of information about the cemetery and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, including the locations of nearly 300 graves and who was buried in each one. Damn. Well, there's a lot of famous people who are buried in Arlington. And in some of the cases we saw there, like a husband and a wife were buried together. Or an entire family were buried together in a plot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But last I read, like, Arlington's running out of space. So they're trying to cut down on the, the admissions. But you could, you know, you go through there and you can see, like, they're, uh, famous generals from the Civil War. Or World War One. You know, famous generals from wars. Um, presidents are buried there. I know maybe two. Supreme Court justices, members of Congress. You know, there there's some famous people in there. Now, a special army decoration, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier Guard Identification Badge, is authorized for wear after passing a detailed test of 100 questions from a pool of more than 300 questions. A uniform test with two gigs which are errors or fewer measured to the 164th of an inch. Damn. And a test on the guard changing sequence. After serving honorably for a period of nine months and having passed a sequence of tests, a tomb guard is permanently awarded the badge. Now, since it was first awarded on February 7th, 1958, Fewer than 650 soldiers have completed the training and have awarded this badge, including four women. Wow. 
Now, a small number of Tomb Guard identification badges have also been retroactively awarded to soldiers who served as guards before 1959. Mm. Those numbers make the badge the second rarest award currently issued in the Army. Only the Army astronaut badge is rarer. Mm. Now, the badge was designed in 1956 and first issued to members of the Honor Guard at the tomb on February 7th, 1958. The badge was issued only as a temporary wear item, meaning soldiers could wear the badge during their tenure as members of the Guard. Upon leaving the duty, the badge was returned and reissued to incoming soldiers. In 1963, a regulation was enacted that allowed the badge to be worn as a permanent part of the military uniform, even after the soldier's completion of duty at the tomb was finished. And that is the Tomb of the Unknowns. Wow. I say, if you get a chance to go to D.C., take some time. Go over to Arlington. Check this out. You know, to, to see this is amazing. <clears throat> and, and you know, as you said, you saw a video. Yeah. And people do That's film it. It's pretty impressive just watching the video. Yeah. People do film it. I saw cameras out filming it for people back home. You know, people had their phones out and their iPods and everything. But it, it's it's one of those things that you see it and you're just like, wow, this is fucking amazing. Yeah, I've shared it on my Facebook before. Just like this thing that where it tells about it, about the symbolism behind yeah. the, the steps and everything. Right. But it, I mean, I saw... That trip with Alex where we saw the, the tomb, I also took him over to uh, the museum, the Smithsonian Museum of American History, and we saw the Fort McHenry flag, the Star-Spangled Banner flag. And that that's a relic that I think every American should see. Yeah. And I, I wish, because of the condition of the flag and the restoration processes, they don't allow filming or pictures to be taken of the flag. Oh, shit. Well, it's like Washington's tent. This thing's over 200 years old. Yeah. And if you have people constantly flashing in the infrared, mm-hmm. it will deteriorate the tent. But to see relics that old, you just kind of sit back and go, God damn, those are amazing. So, that's going to wrap it up for us today. If you're looking for us out there, we're on podcast or uh, Anchor, all major podcasting groups. And Apple Podcasts. Brian, please do your job. Do it. And we got the Facebook pages. Join us there. And for the Smart Ass Historian, I'm Scotty J. Not Jeff. Catch you later, folks. Bye.